Now this word I'm about to teach you, I believe is the, sum, the summation of all three parts of this series. And especially if you call V1 home and you're a longtime attendee, I wanna make sure this gets deep into your heart today, okay? I, I think uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, I'm gonna probably offend you a little bit. Um, so hopefully you come back next week. But I've learned that New Yorkers especially love when you just shoot it straight. They don't like the fluff, you know? They're like, you just, just tell me, just cut me. The New Yorker's like, cut me, cut me, Mick. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this word, but, but I, wanna, I wanna help you understand, I'm teaching you the Bible, okay? I'm gonna give you a lot of scriptures. The notes are available in the V1 Church mobile app if you can't take notes fast enough. So 1 Corinthians chapter one, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Now remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written to a body of believers. And so this is the introduction to the letter that was written to a church 2,000 years ago. So there's a church in a region, right, Corinth, that is receiving a letter of instruction from one of their leaders, and this is the introduction of that letter. Because you know some drama was going down. When you read it, you're like, ooh, ooh. The Bible's got some drama in it. Verse 10, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. How many of you are parents? Have you ever appealed to your children? Please, shut your mouth. Pastor Mike's right there. He's gonna think you have a demon. You know, have you ever talked to your children through your teeth? You didn't know you're a ventriloquist until you had to appeal to your children. I swear one more time, I'll pinch you so hard. Mm. Have you ever done that? You re or you just reach back behind the seat and you grab their leg and they know. But so, so when I read, I appeal to you, can I, have I put some more context on it? I'm trying to make the scriptures three-dimensional to you. This is a leader saying, I appeal to you. Like we've gotten to the point where I'm gritting my teeth while I'm saying this. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus. So in other words, I'm using the authority of the Father to tell you this right now because you're not listening to your local leaders. So in the name of the Lord, have you also ever said that to your kids? In the name of Jesus, he says that all of you agree with one another in that you say, in what you say, and that there will be no, no divisions. Somebody say no divisions. He didn't say less divisions. He said none. And so we're not doing good as a church, V1, if we have less divisions. We're only meeting the biblical standard when we have none. Are you following me? Okay, and so that all of you agree with one another and what you say, now I love that. It doesn't say agree with each other's opinions. It says agree with what you present. Agree in what you're united in what you say. We all say that this is a global voice of the gospel to all people. We all say that we, you know what I'm saying? Let the church say the same thing. That there will be no divisions among you, but that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought which is kind of crazy. And I read scripture very slow at this church because it's not the volume of scripture, it's the volume of revelation. You can have, you can have a high volume of reading and a low volume of revelation, okay? So with the scripture, it says, in mind and thought. So you could be unified in mind, but not unified in thoughts. 
You could be unified in thoughts, but not mind. What's the difference? I'll tell you, do you have the mind of Christ? Because if you have the mind of Christ, you'll have the thoughts of Christ. And if Dean has the mind of Christ, then he has the thoughts of Christ. And if I have the mind of Christ, I have the thoughts of Christ. So now we're united in mind and thoughts because we've submitted our own opinion and we've chosen to allow his opinion to be the one that emerges, okay? And so there can be no true unity where there is not the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, you'll know you have it when it contradicts the voice of the enemy. People are like, how do I know that I heard the voice of God? You actually see the character of God through scripture so frequently that what you're hearing actually becomes in alignment with his character. And therefore, you know that it is, it's either God or it sounds enough like him to reveal you have his mind now. Woo. So I'm going to give you seven things. Now, I'm going to do this quickly. I'm going to give you seven biblical truths that are related to relationships. So seven biblical truths to relationship. And I want you to jot these down in the next. And then by the end of this message, I believe that you will learn something that your granddaddy didn't know, that your grandma didn't know. Like you are about to accelerate in relationships if you'll grasp all seven of these. So are you guys ready to kind of like, are you foaming at the mouth? Okay, number one is this, and all conflict, all conflict, somebody say all. Okay, now think about what I just said. All conflict can produce intimacy or division. You choose. By the time I get to this message and land this thing, it's gonna change your life, so stay with me. Number one, all conflict can produce intimacy or division. You choose. My wife and I got into a lot of fights when we learned how to metabolize the fights into intimacy, it became a marriage conference. The content of those fights became a marriage conference, not a line on our divorce papers. Do you hear me? What, the same argument, if I don't let it produce division, like 1 Corinthians says, that argument can turn into content for a marriage conference because the bridge was intimacy between me and Julie. But then you take that, oh, come on now. But then you take that same argument and it produces division and it becomes the content for divorce papers. So the problem isn't conflict, homie. It's what you do with it. Watch this, I'll go a little bit deeper. Conflict through the mind of Christ produces crucifixion. <laughs> crucifixion produces resurrection. Conflict through a carnal mind. I'll wait. I want everybody in the room to hear what I'm saying right now. Conflict through the carnal mind produces division that produces death. So watch this. Conflict through the mind of Christ produces crucifixion, which means I'm gonna die to my agenda, die to my will, die to my way, which produces resurrection. Conflict through the carnal mind produces what? Division, which produces death. See, it's either death of self-will that leads to resurrection or death because of self-will that leads to true death. I gotta keep going, because I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to teach you. When it was Julie's will versus Mike's will, you were on the road to divorce. But when it was Julie and Mike fighting for God's will, you are on the road to a marriage conference. 
It sounds so simple, but wait until they get on your nerves. I'll see if you got that revelation. Number two, Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Ephesians. Now everybody knows what's Ephesians known for? Spiritual warfare, the armor of God. Everybody, we must place on the armor of God. Oh, I'm about to throw my iPad. I almost threw it. I almost threw it. Something in me said, throw it. So they really, whenever, whenever you hear about the book of Ephesians, it's equated to the book about spiritual warfare. But see, if you just coming from a Pentecostal charismatic paradigm, you probably didn't read the entire book of Ephesians. I'm going to teach you a bit of warfare for relationships. And this is number two that you probably missed. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Because you know, every time the spiritual warriors rise up, they're speaking in tongues, barking at the devil like that produces more power. You know, they're the ones, I saw something in the spirit that you didn't see in there. And I'm like, yeah, because you're a warlock and a witch, not a, a true servant. You know what I'm saying? Of course you saw it. You're, Satan showed you. You know, because like, listen, anybody, I'm going to talk about the spiritual gifts here in a few seconds, but anybody can see what's wrong. Can you see what God's doing in the midst of it? And this is what Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, it's like you read the entire book of Ephesians and miss this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, uh, Christ God forgave you. So be kind and compassionate. What if the two-edged sword that you are wielding is a sword of the word that is kindness and compassion? Yeah, you don't get no amens in a church for that. <laughs> kindness and compassion. But I'll tell you what, if you will try using kindness and you will try using compassion in a relationship, you will dismantle and disarm to a degree that you never have before. Matter of fact, kindness allows you to see something about someone that cruelty never could. See, like, you'll look at somebody who's prideful, and you'll be mad that they're prideful. I become compassionate because they're so broken, they have to inflate their sense of self. See, so you look at somebody and you say, oh man, they're flexing a watch and a house and a car and they have everything I thought I wanted and I'm mad at them, I'm jealous. I look at them and I say, what are you trying to convince yourself every time you buy something new? See, kindness enlightens your, enlightens your understanding. It opens your eyes and cruelty blinds it. And so number two is this. I want you to understand this principle. As a church, forgiveness can be extended in the absence of an apology you choose. Let me just show you again. Forgiveness can be extended in the absence of an apology. So I will forgive that person when they apologize. That's how the world forgives. You know how Christians forgive? When nobody says they're sorry. That's how a Christian forgives. That is liberating because that means you can be free if they never say the apology. See, the reason why Christian forgiveness is the ultimate form of forgiveness is because I don't need you. I don't, see, here's the thing. If your dad hurts you and your dad dies, but you forgive the way the world forgives, you'll never, ever be able to forgive him. But if your dad dies before he could apologize, you can be free of that offense because you didn't have to wait for him to say it. You see what I'm saying? You, and so it is a beautiful thing. Number three, are you guys still with me? I'm going to give you multiple scriptures in a row. Are you guys locked in? 
Okay, so stay with me. They're gonna come up on the screen, the lower thirds for those of you watching the broadcast and for those of you in your mobile app. John 16, 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. What? But they told me that, that we could all solve each other's problems and that utopia is possible. Psych. In the world, you will have tribulations. You will. You're going to go through hard times. Your college degree is not going to save you. A big pile of cash in your bank account is not going to save you, especially when it depreciates to the extent that it's not worth what it's worth right now. Come on now. You're storing up treasures that are going to rust and moth and be eaten away like nothing that's going to say, okay, doomsday preppers, your seven-year food supply in buckets. Come on. Come on, 25 year. Come on, we know whose house we're showing up at. Come on now. I hope you bought the mac and cheese version. It all looks the same. It's just a different flavor. They sprinkle it in. Listen, it might save you longer than me. <laughs> I laughed, but I definitely want to fill a closet with, the today's, with today's conditions. You will have tribulation. But it says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart. And so the gospel is not say this little prayer and you'll never have a tribulation. It's you better learn how to pray without ceasing because you're going to have a lot of tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world, which makes you more than an overcomer. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, it says, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, why did I quote all those scriptures? The more you breathe the scripture in, you inhale it, you view it, the windows of your soul, which are your eyes, receive it, you will be faced with a choice. Do you start to talk like God or do you keep talking like your family? Now, a reason why I read that is because number three is this. Put this point up, guys. It takes more intelligence to be the one who encourages than the one who criticizes. I'm gonna show you why. Because see, often, now listen to me. I need all of our leaders to listen. People often think that the most intelligent leaders are the most critical leaders because they see the most. Oftentimes people think that because I don't speak to something, I don't see it. But I wanna show you that it actually takes more intelligence to encourage than it does to criticize. Why? <laughs> this is so good. Because criticism only addresses what's obvious. Encouragement addresses what's hidden. So the encouragers, oh, prophetic people, if you're negative, if you're critical, if you're judgmental, you're not prophetic. You're suspicious. Because, see, suspicious people put something in the darkness that was never there. Prophetic people reveal what was already there through encouragement. Let me prove it to you because everyone's like, I'm a prophet. I'm prophetic. No, you're suspicious, you're negative, you're wounded, and you have confirmation bias 
not prophetic confirmation. And I need you to hear this because I'm trying to heal relationships and we're ripping up the list just because everyone at your previous churches was so prophetic, but they were so negative. You do not have the right to carry that spirit into the body of Christ. Here's my point. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse three. Don't you see how the, the church at Corinth was getting gutted? And I feel like there's the same spirit that was attacking the church of, the, of Corinth is attacking the bride of Christ today. And look what was said, because now you saw point one. Now you see this point. It's all flowing from 1 Corinthians. Let me, let me read this. Those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. What happened to that? Those who prophesy. You want to be a prophet? The tip of your tongue should be seasoned with love. Build them up. Give them encouragement. I didn't, my goal was not to become prophetic. My goal was to try to help people understand that when I read John chapter 16, verse 13, and people come to me and, Pastor Mike, I have a tribulation. I was like, okay, how does my dad talk, talk to me? Oh, when I came to God and I said I have a tribulation, he told me, tribulations are gonna come, son, but I have overcome the world, so take heart. So when I begin to look at people and they tell me about their problems, I'm like, okay, I can't exempt you from problems, but take heart, God has overcome the world through Jesus. And so I just, and then prophecy, begins to leap up out of my mouth. My goal wasn't to be a prophet. It was to be one who loves his brother and sister with compassion. And then I'm like, how does God talk? He says, he told in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with your right. So prophecy flows from this place that sounds like encouragement. It sounds like encouragement. And it's like the thing that has driven me crazy about this pandemic is how many people think they're prophetic, but I've never seen them build anybody up. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Don't be anxious about it. Do you see how prophecy flows from that? And so number three was this. It takes more intelligence to be the one who encourages than the one who criticizes. To critic, criticize is to speak about the obvious, but to prophetically encourage is to reveal hidden potential. Anybody could have seen that I was cheating on my wife. Anybody could have seen that I was an alcoholic. But my wife said, you are going to plant hundreds of churches. You are going to, and she was prophesy over me. Like that's why I honored her today on her birthday. She literally sat in front of our door, barricaded the door, knowing I was drunk and said, you will not leave this house. You'll have to get through my body to do it. I'm blocking the door because you are a man of God and you're gonna launch churches. It's criticism's easy. Oh, I see what's wrong with the bride of Christ. But do you see it without spot or blemish? Are you prophesying the bride of Christ rising up with strength, with healing in her wings for the nations through the power of Jesus Christ? What do you see? Number four is this. Assumptions can either be termites of love or termites. They, uh, assumptions can either be the termites of love or worker ants. And so one, one erodes and the other builds and stores. I was thinking about Proverbs chapter six, and it says, be like the ant, you sluggard. 
consider the ways of the wise. And so the ant, they store provisions in the summer so that there's food for harvest. And I was thinking about termites. Termites and ants are both insects, but one erodes and the other one builds. One is eating away and the other one is preparing. The other is building. When you look at the ants, the ants are constantly storing, storing, storing. Why did we do the altitude campaign to raise money to buy a building? because we're trying to buy buildings, plural, because we are the ants that store away, that say, when I attended V1 Church, we had to be in a movie theater. We had to flip a bar that we were leasing for four times the amount of money it should cost for a venue if we mortgaged it. But I am like the ants that begin to give to that campaign called Altitude so that when my children are adults, that V1 Church has these embassies of righteousness that the government can't tell us what we, the local municipalities, the mayors, they can't tell because we are able to function and they, we undersee, we are like the ants that that understand we're not termites that that eat and erode away, but we are ants that build. Here's another one. One of the biggest things that healed our relationship is I had this huge gaping hole in my chest from a father wound. And um, I thought my wife would never understand me, but my wife cared for me in a season when I was broken. And then many years later, her dad was going to die, Randy Owens. And then I watched my wife have to wrestle with the orphan spirit. And see what happened was my wife had the wisdom of the ant because she built in our relationship in a previous season when I could offer her nothing. But then when my time came, she, you know, many of you know, Julie dealt with chronic illness for the last three years after going to Ukraine to do a women's event where women came by train over 16 hours. And it was actually in Ukraine, that and some other things, she got sick. But I, here's my point. She was wise like the ant because she stored in one season and repped, uh, reaped in another season. And so I was able to minister to her. Number five is this, forgiveness is commanded, but reconciliation is conditional. Some, um, I worded it another way and I want you guys to see this. Sometimes you must exit a relationship to remain in peace. I wanna clear something up because the biggest question I get anytime I preach on relationships and reconciliation is, does that mean I stay? Does that mean I have to be here? And I wanna help you understand that the answer to that is a resounding no. Forgiveness can actually be extended, but reconciliation is when you choose to stay in relationship. And I'll be honest with you, there are, can, how real can I be? There are people in ministry that I have forgiven, but they operate in such a demonic carnal paradigm that I do not, and God Almighty is not requiring me to be in an, action, in an actual relationship with them. Forgiveness and relationship are not synonyms. Reconciliation and relationship are synonyms. And I wanna read you something in the Bible that shows this for number five, Matthew chapter 18. And I want us to learn this as a church. I tell people, leave this church if that's the right thing for you. We can forgive and not have to reconcile in a relationship as a pastor, because if I can't be your pastor, you'll never receive from this church. If you can't say, Pastor Mike is my pastor and be proud of that and be excited about what God flows from the head of our church down, then I will tell people, then we cannot reconcile. I would love for you to find another church. So, but, and, but that's not a bad thing. There's marriages. Can I say something real scandalous? 
that should be, there should be forgiveness, but not reconciliation. I have told couples, and Jesus even said this in another, another por- portion of scripture, there is an acceptable basis for divorce. And there are times when I've told people forgiveness is essential, but reconciliation would be damaging. And the way that I wrote it as I was praying for this is praying about this sermon, Matthew chapter 18. Sometimes you must exit a relationship to remain in peace. Matter of fact, when Abraham and Lot were both on the same land, they they realized the land couldn't sustain both of their herds. And they literally said, if we if all of our flock eat off this same land, then we're all gonna lose. And so you go my your way and I'll go the way the Lord's calling me. There's times in ministry, there's times in relationships, there's even times in marriages where you say the only form of relationship reconciliation is going to be from a distance. I'll see you in heaven. Matthew chapter 18 says, if your brother wrongs you, go and have it out with him at once. In other words, go directly to them. Now, once I say this, I'm gonna hold all all of our church accountable for this. If somebody does you dirty, Matthew 18 says, you go to them first. If you go to your friend for advice, that might be a bad idea. Because what Matthew 18 is saying is there's gotta be a maturity in you as a believer that to rip up the list of your wrongs, you gotta go to them and you gotta experiment with trying to have the conversations without running to pastors. Because what'll happen is you'll run to your connect group leader, you'll run, okay, I gotta take two more minutes. You'll run to your connect group leader, you'll run to your friend, you'll run to your pastor, not because you want advice, but because you want them to agree with you. And then when you're in the meeting with the person, you want them, you wanna say, well, but actually Pastor Jocelyn agrees with me. Actually, Pastor Kiel agrees with me. Actually, Pastor Julie agrees with me. And so the biblical instruction is the instruction. This is not a V1 thing, this is a Bible thing. And Matthew 18 doesn't say, go seek out advice for how to deal with the situation, then deal with it. It actually says, go to them directly yourself first. But that's why our churches are full of people who are babies emotionally, because they've never gone to the person first. They've always ran to a leader to get a confirmation and use that as a form of manipulation. I'm ripping up the list today of, of culturally how you do things, but biblically we're about to do it like this. So go to them first. And then when you go to them, it says, just between the two of you, it literally says that in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it says, just between the two of you. Let me tell you another reason why that's step number one. It's step number one because if you go to a pastor, if you go to a connect group, if you go to your family member, if you go to your friend, you've damaged the way they see that person. Are you getting wisdom? You've damaged the way that they see that person. And you can't undo it. Once you tattle on them, once you say something, you can't undo it. So going to them is the most loving thing, but you don't love that person you're in conflict with. You want to see them broken down further. You want to see that you get elevated up as being right. And so if compassion is not the first step, you'll mess up all the others. Okay, let me show you this. Because I'm like fathering our house because many of us have never had parents that taught us this. Amen. And it says, but if they will not listen to you, take one or two others with you so that everything that is said will have the support of two or three witnesses. So if you only bring one pastor, does that make Matthew 18 satisfied? Because one pastor is not enough. One connect group leader is not enough. It says by two or three witnesses, which means there needs to be a consensus among leaders that are now in this issue. 
Why? Because if it's one, you'll pick the one that you know agrees with you. Let it be two or three. So people think that they're operating in wisdom, but you're not. Biblical wisdom says, if you can't get it done in one-on-one, bring in two to three witnesses. And if they still won't get it right, then, then you tell the matter to the church. And if he won't even listen to the church, then he must be just like a pagan and a tax collector. That's crazy. Did you know that Matthew 18 just told you if somebody will not respond to conflict resolution through each one of those interventions, the best thing for you as the church and them is to excommunicate them from the church. Now, when you go to local churches, these pastors are obsessed with numbers. They treat church like a business corporate America infiltrating the church and they, they don't want to think that, you know, somebody would leave. But there's times where you, you test somebody's heart and you say, hey, you still are not listening through all these interventions, but you know what they're proving? They haven't received the love of the Father because the love of the Father would say, I'm here. So I know that this is brutal, but forgiveness is commanded, but reconciliation is conditional. Did that help you? Maybe many of you never had a pastor who ever even taught you that before. And this is healthy for our soul. Number, we're almost done. Number six, you reflect what you expect. You're mirroring what you're fearing or you're reflecting what you're expecting. You get to choose. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So the righteous have hope and it brings us joy. That hope produces joy. We say, man, I have hope that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I have hope that he's either gonna heal me on this side or even in death, I I experience the ultimate healing through salvation. That hope brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked, they will perish. And so you reflect what you expect, you mirror what you fear, or you reflect what you expect. You've got to choose. You've got to choose. So in relationships, I wanna be the one that looks at, you know, Nick and Angela who filled this place up with teenagers, by the way, as they're stepping into this position as youth leaders. And people would say youth groups never grow on Long Island. And he said they do if you put 17 glowing screens with video games in there and filled this place up with teenagers, but you reflect what you expect. And so the expectation is that Nick and Angela, Julie and I looked at them and said, we're expecting that you're gonna fill this place with young people that encounter Jesus. And we're gonna build a community across all of our campuses that of young people, but you also mirror what you fear. You mirror what you fear. And a lot of us in this place, let's be honest, We fear Pastor Mike's gonna mess up like all the other pastors. We fear, hey, my connect group leader, I'm meeting with them, but they just want platform. They don't wanna love me. We fear my marriage is just a sham and it's always gonna be fake. We we fear, some of you even fear success and, and because it's like there's something inside of you. So this scripture that I have is Acts chapter three, verse five, it's so powerful. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So there's this man that was disabled. The apostles walked by and this man fixed his attention on them. And watch what it says, expecting to receive from them. If you expect to receive from me every Sunday, you'll receive a tremendous anointing. 
if you expect to receive from me. They, see, what happened was as the, as the apostles came by and he was begging for money, but, he, but see, the thing was he didn't want money from the apostles. He wanted a miracle. And so you have this scripture that says, silver and gold, I have not none, but what I give you, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But why did that happen? Look at this scripture, Acts 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. Expecting to receive something from them. What is your expectation? Here's the thing, can you put an expectation? If you're leading a dream team, are you putting an expectation on those that are serving under you for greatness? Are you pulling it out of them? Last but not least, number seven, would you stand to your feet? This is the biggest point. You do not lose control in a relationship. You reap what your control produced. Oh, you choose. This whole sermon, this is the way that we process, um, the way that we process relationships are, I'm either in control or I'm out of control. Pastor Mike, my spouse, I can't control them. They can't control themselves. It's like this lie of control, this illusion of control. And my last and final point is, you do not lose control in a relationship. You just reap what your control produced. First John chapter five, verse 14 says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I wanna just tell you, prayer, prayer is what you can control. You can control your prayer life. You can control the times that you read scripture and you feed your spirit. You can control, see, and so I'm trying to help many of you understand that oftentimes it's like, but Pastor Mike, my relationships are so broken because of other people and my inability to control them. But I wanna tell you that you are not out of control. You did not lose control in the relationship. You are simply reaping what your control produced. So when you tried to control by those other ways, see, you've gotta do things God's ways because the Bible says, says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so listen, it's not the power of the worrying wife. It's the power of the praying wife. I can't control what my husband does, but I can control how I pray about it. And see, here's the thing. Maybe you can't control your job, your boss, but you control your finances. And you say, I'm going to give God what's God's. And I'm going to open up a conduit in my finances. I can't control the economy, but I I can control the economy of my life by stewarding my finances. See, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. You can't stop the violence, but you can choose to step in the right way violently. I'm gonna worship my way out of this. See, you can't split the Red Sea, but you can walk right up to it. You can't part the waters, but you can acknowledge the one who can. See, you do have control. Rip up the list of excuses. You choose. As for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord. I'm choosing to fast. I'm pushing my plate aside. I'm choosing this Ash Wednesday to go deeper. I'm gonna pray like I never prayed. I'm gonna worship like I never worship. I'm going deeper. I choose. Is the Lord stirring something in your heart? Lift your hands towards heaven if you're stirred up. Tell him I just want you, God. Nothing else. 
It's time to go deeper, church. It's time to go deeper. 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 It's time to go deeper. Deeper.